O leaders of the apostles and teachers of the world, intercede with the Master of all, that he may grant peace unto the world and to our souls his great mercy. Amen. Welcome, everyone. We took a break last week from Bible study. I was out of town, and so we had to take a break last week. That was our first break we took. We were on a good streak from the beginning of September until then. Um, And unfortunately, next week we'll have to take a break as well, because a few of us are going to St. Paisius Monastery down in Arizona. Um, So no Bible study next week, unfortunately. Uh, Last week, I was at a clergy conference with 200 priests from all over the country, from every... Every, per, every, uh, every part of the country. Um, and that's probably maybe half or so of the clergy altogether. So it's quite a lot of clergy. And so as many as could come uh, assembled in Phoenix for the clergy conference. And it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun. We had a wonderful speaker. Uh, his name is uh, Bishop Maxim. He's in the Serbian church in, um, in uh, Los Angeles area. And he's also a theologian, a very good theologian. It had some really interesting things where you'd go in and out of understanding what was saying <laughs> and following everything and then having to take a step back and, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> wrap your head around it. Um, so maybe we can, we can bring up some of those things as we uh, go forward today. I was also able to go to St. Paisius oh, Monastery in uh, uh, Arizona, which is really fun. They had the, all the clergy were gonna go for a tour on Wednesday of the conference. So they loaded up all these buses and went to the monastery. But I, have a, I had a friend from school who was like a really incredible person and um, he had rented a car and every uh, day, every, every day at 11.30, no, 12.30 at night, he would drive to the monastery for the services. So we'd have the program during the day, and then at night he would drive to the service because their services start at 1.30 in the morning. And he went all three days <laughs> to that, which was amazing. So I got to go with him one of the days, and it was really incredible to be there to see the professional Orthodox, so to say, <laughs> the people that do... Christianity as a profession. I mean, we all are, but these people, their whole life, professional liturgy, like their services are meticulously done uh, just so smoothly and peacefully and everything, because obviously they, they have liturgy every single day, so they've, they get pretty good at, at doing everything. Is that the monastery so. where the monks are? Yeah, this is the one where the monks are, at St. Anthony's. St. Anthony's, yeah. And the next week we're going to St. Paisius, which is close by, but that's the women's monastery, uh, English-speaking women's monastery. Saint Basil. Uh, Saint Paisius. Oh, Paisius. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, so it's nice to be back with everybody um, for our Bible study on First Corinthians. Now, where we are in the letter as we go uh, forward is in the middle of chapter three, um, and Saint Paul has just finished talking uh, about. The idea of the last judgment, uh, which is something that he likes to talk about now and again. And as you see, the epistle will go through with little sections on on this, such as unity. And then he'll talk about uh, some of the issues going on and he'll go back and forth with different things that are that are on his mind to tell uh, the Christians in Corinth. So he's just finished talking about the uh, last judgment. And we had an interesting conversation about this last time. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts or questions, but it, it definitely was something a little bit new to me as I looked into it and read it and read commentaries and things on this. But just to summarize from last time, um, 
what St. Paul is, is basically telling them is that they all have been given a foundation. He's using the metaphor of a building. And all of the Christians have been given a foundation by the preaching of the apostles. And that foundation is their baptism, their entry into the church, their, their faith in Christ. Um, and then all, each Christian that's been given that foundation is then uh, given the obligation and opportunity, responsibility to build on that foundation, a building. And he says that people can use different building materials of wood or hay or metal or jewels or some of them are good and long lasting. Some of them don't stand the test of time. And so, you know, as we thought about it, that's really what we do with our life, how we build on that foundation of our faith. Do we build with good works, acts of mercy and love, uh, prayer to God, fulfilling all the commandments in that way? If we do, our building will be strong and beautiful and sturdy. But if we um, are careless and we're spending the time with ourselves or for ourselves, um, in laziness or however we, those kind of habits and sins that often get us, that's like building with straw or hay, which is not going to endure for a long time, but will be uh, thrown away. Um, so obviously this is, this is kind of a, something that uh, hopefully makes sense, you know, pretty logical, how we use our time matters. Um, and so where he goes with it, though, is, is interesting because he, he says that the day of the Lord, the last judgment, will reveal everyone's work um, and the fire will test each person's work. If anyone's work uh, endures, he will receive a reward is what he says. And that's and that's something that's, that um, is interesting, because if you think about it, often we think of. You know, the person that's not done anything good or that's been fighting with sins and falling into temptations their whole life. You think of their house as being not very sturdy, right? He says that at the end, the fire of of God will burn everything and test everything. And if somebody's house is built with straw and hay, it will get burned up and he'll suffer loss. But if somebody's house is sturdy and their works and their... Their things that they've done in their life are good and true, then they will receive a reward. So what's, what's interesting about that is that, as we noted before, uh, when we talked about this, is we think of it often, like the way I, I want to think about this passage is those that have done good and, and built a beautiful building are going to go to heaven, and those that haven't done well are going to go to hell. Right. Those that haven't done good things that have been lazy and sinful, those people are going to hell. And and that's kind of how we want to think about it. Right. Which is a sad state for many of us who tend to build our buildings with hay and straw and all those kind of things. It can be a a scary thing. But what he actually says in it is is something that should challenge our idea of heaven and hell even, Um, because what he says is that. The fire will test, and if somebody's building is, is, is good, if they've stored up good things in heaven, they will have a treasure in heaven. He doesn't say that they will get into heaven. He says they will have a treasure in heaven. They will have a mansion even in heaven. So even the category of someone that's done well, it's not just to get into heaven, it's to have a reward in heaven, right? Not just to somehow... Uh, meet the minimum bar of getting into heaven. They're working and their work will uh, serve them in heaven. It will be, they'll be closer to God in heaven. This is one way to look at it. And those that have struggled, those that have, um, you know, done poorly, you could say, uh, in, in life, haven't come to church much or all these things. You know, he says their building of hay and straw will be burned up. But it says they will still be saved, yet as though through fire, which is very interesting to think about and should give us hope. Because for those people, you think about many of us, we love God, we have our faith, 
we, we struggle and we can always and we should always strive to do more and more. But to realize that God is compassionate. And even though many of the things we do aren't pleasing to him. And may be burned up at the end of the day. We says we will still be saved because of our faith in Christ and our trajectory of doing our best, of trying our hardest. So at the end of the day, it's, just, it's a balance as of faith and works. Our faith in God is our central thing. And the works that we do, we show them because of our faith, but we do them in hopes of being closer to God, not just to get into heaven, but to build a building, to receive a reward. And even if our works aren't good, if we've, we're full of sin and and passions, but our heart is still true to Christ, we may just barely get in as though through fire. You can think of like somebody fleeing a burning building, right? They're taking nothing with them. They still get into heaven in this metaphor, but they've taken nothing with them. They barely get in. Maybe they don't even have their shirt on. It's been burned in the fire, right? But they still get in because their heart was true. Their, their direction was true. Their foundation, they were still on that foundation. They hadn't left that foundation of Christ and the church. So it's a, it, what, what sounds like going to be a harsh thing that he says, of, you're going to go to heaven if you've done good, you're going to go to hell if you've you know, struggled and you've, you've done bad things, is more of a compassionate way, the way he says it. That if you've done good, you're going to get a reward. If you've struggled and uh, fallen and gotten up and kept going, you still get into heaven, but you may not get the best mansion. But we pray that maybe one of the saints will adopt us into their mansions. You know, maybe St. John Maximovich or, or, uh, or uh, St. Paul will adopt us into their mansion because obviously they have a mansion. It reminds me of the story of the Apostle Thomas. Do you know the story of the Apostle Thomas? He was sent to India. All the apostles went throughout the world. And Thomas went to India. And um, it's, it's a really uh, beautiful story because he goes there and um, they, he begins to preach the gospel. And he begins to preach this idea of convert to Christ, uh, begin doing good things and, and, and earn your uh, heavenly uh, reward. Um, and uh, he, he keeps talking about this idea, and, which is we, we forget about this sometimes. We think of getting into heaven as just getting over that bar. But really, even the way the Lord says it, you know, he says he that uh, gives up father and mother and, and know their own will and follows me will receive, not will get into heaven, but will receive uh, in, the, in the future life, will receive houses. The Lord says this. So this isn't something we made up, make up. The Lord says you will receive houses and all these things that you've given to others in this life. You'll receive them back in a perfected way in heaven, which is interesting to think about. You give money now, you get heavenly treasure later. It's a beautiful banking system because it increases in a whole new denomination of heavenly currency. Um, so anyway, so Apostle Thomas was preaching about this of you know, the heavenly uh, mansion. And, and so the uh, king gives him all this money because he hears that if he gives it to the apostle, he's going to get a mansion. King hears, mansion, I want a mansion. I'm going to give whatever it takes to get my mansion. So he gives him a whole bunch of money, the apostle Thomas. And what does the apostle Thomas do? The apostle Thomas says, yes, uh, your majesty, I will begin to, be, to build your uh, mansion now. Have a nice day. So he leaves, and what does he do with the money? He gives it to the poor. He gives the king's money to the poor. And so a few months later, the king calls him and says, how's the work on my mansion going? And the apostle Thomas says, it's going well. We got the foundation, getting the walls up. You know, things are going well. About to put the roof on. Contractors are a little late, but that's okay. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, going well. We could, could use some more money, though, if you really want a nice palace that befits, you know, how wonderful of a king you are. And uh, the king says, great. I want that mansion. I want it to be as beautiful as possible. So here's some more money. Of course, the Apostle Thomas goes and, and gives it to the poor again. 
the king a third time calls him in. How's it going? It's going great. Just need some more furniture inside. Need some jewels around. Here's some more money. Apostle Thomas gives it to the poor. And then uh, the king finally says, okay, mansion's done. Thomas, Saint Thomas says, well, it could always be better, but it's good enough. And so the king says, I want to come see the mansion. And then so St. Thomas has to kind of fess up. And he says, well, this is a heavenly mansion. You'll see it when you die. And the king doesn't get it. He gets very upset. And he said, no, I, I, this is, this is, I got conned by this person. So he gets very upset with, with St. Thomas and throws him out, puts him in jail, whatever. That night, the king's brother has this dream. And he's in the dream. He's walking through this beautiful field. And he sees this beautiful mansion and he wants to go in but the angel says no this is for your brother you can't go in so he wakes up he goes to his brother and say hey you know that mansion that thomas built for you can i have it (laughs) (laughs) and he begins to tell him about the dream sure enough the king realizes that this is a reality that this is actually what thomas has done that he's stored up his earthly possessions invested them in God's bank in the hands of the poor. And because of this, he has a mansion that's waiting for him in heaven. And so he gives even more money to Thomas and keeps giving to increase the mansion. So this is a very early story that shows us that getting to heaven's not just so much, you know, doing the minimum to get over the bar. It's this idea of doing so much because we love God and we love his people that we get a reward we get this beautiful thing in God's presence. So just uh, a nice story to think about with all of this. Uh, that that's how we should be as well. Working not just to simply get in, but there's no limit to how big your mansion can be in heaven, right? But for many of us, the reality is we're more in the, the ones that have put straw into our building or hay or laziness, right? All those kind of things that make our building a little unsecure, but we should always be trying to improve it. And with the hope that if we stay on our foundation of Christ and work uh, with him and towards him, you know, in the best way that we can, always improving, the building can always be improved, no matter what we've done in the past, we can always be improving it. Um, And then so hopefully we'll get in and we'll have maybe a little hut or something. Or maybe we'll just barely get in, like we said, and, and get adopted by St. Thomas's mansion or the, that king's <laughs> mansion. So, um, so that's what St. Paul has been, been talking about here. And does anyone have any I don't know, thoughts or uh, reflections on that? Yeah. Um, in terms of a mansion in heaven, I, I feel like I have a hard time like, conceptualizing that because I'm thinking, mm-hmm. how do you transfer that worldly, like, I don't care if I have a mansion here, you know? <laughs> so how does, how does that kind of apply to heaven? What does that really mean? What is it like? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a question that I don't think there's an easy answer to. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Okay, so you can see the Yananda, mm-hmm. and you know, how it started out. Very, very simple, double by, two double by trailers is how everything started out. If you go to the courtyard, this is where the men's quarters are, right? <clears throat> and through his prayer and his, act, his action in faith, right? He, here in the, uh, Ephraim put so much, has so much faith and so much love and so much prayer that through this action, he attracted all these treasures. But not just heavenly treasures, mm-hmm. they had a projection onto earth. <laughs> and so this wonderful oasis was built through the years, right? Actually, enormously quickly, right? Mm-hmm. And so that, that, that is a little bit of a symbol of what the heavenly thing hap- what what happens in heaven. Okay. Yeah, it's a hard, so, hard thing. I so mean... It's, uh, you know, it's, it's not... In, in heaven, he- heaven operates very differently than we are mm-hmm. here, but also very similarly. Mm-hmm. Because look, 
we go to the church and to the temple, and it is a reflection of heaven, mm -hmm. right? It starts with the dome. It's the whole cosmos, mm -hmm. actually, right? And all the beauty that's in it, and all the uh, the rituals we do, the beautiful rituals, the chanting, the incense, uh, the prayers, right? Mm -hmm. Receiving communion. Um, it is a projection of what happens, or a reflection of what happens in heaven, right? So the Metropolitan always loves to say, icons are reflections of the people when they are in heaven, right? And here in Boulder, uh, people are a little new ages, new agey. Uh, I always say they are portals to heaven. They like the idea of portal given and of reflection. But the church is a reflection of what heaven is. At the monastery at St. Anthony's is a reflection of what heaven looks like. Okay. It's a little bit of the experience because heaven exists already here. Okay. It's not something that's somewhere else. Heaven is always there. We always we can be present in heaven. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> there's a lot of symbolism in the church, and the symbol is not what the Westerners think of a symbol. You know, um, Eddie can explain. Actually, our theologian can explain this much better, right? We don't have it here at St. Ray Junction. I think the other thing to realize is that there's even different levels to heaven. Yes. We, we think of heaven as one big cloud or one big thing, but there's really the way that it's been described is different levels to heaven. Uh, and we don't know what that means, to be honest. I mean, different levels implies some things are higher, and the highness is about the closeness to God, ultimately. Yeah, the ranks of the angels have, yeah, the kind of, as we remember this morning on the Feast of the Angels, yeah, there's some that are assigned to the throne of God, the cherubim and the seraphim, and there's others that, that have other functions. Um, and the same with, with people even on earth. There's some people that are closer to God and some people that aren't as close to God and some people in the middle. And because God is infinite, the way we look at our progression to God is infinite. We can always draw closer to God. And that applies not just here on earth, but in heaven as well. You, you keep going, exactly. You kind of take where you're at now and build onto it in newer and, and deeper levels, um, which is a really different way maybe to look at, at heaven, but there's, there's levels to it. So why just, why just barely try to get in? Why not try to go for as much as we can to get? Uh, there's a story of um, uh, St. John Chrysostom. Um, shortly after he died, there was somebody who uh, had this vision of heaven and was taken into heaven, which is St. Paul's case as well, where later in the epistle he'll describe his experience, where St. Paul says he was taken, is it the seventh? The third heaven. The third heaven. See, there's, there's a reference to that, that there's these different kind of levels in heaven. Uh, so he was taken to the third heaven, whatever that means. I, don't, I can't give a Beverly clear Hills description. Yeah, the Beverly Hills of heaven. <laughs> sure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he's taken to the third heaven. So in this case, this person, right after St. John Chrysostom died, and St. John was a well-known and famous person, and this person died and was taken to heaven and shown, here's these mansions, these saints, all these different things, what's happening in heaven. We don't know what happens in heaven. Mm -hmm. Christ tells us it's like a banquet. It's like you know, many, many things he tells us that it's like. Uh, but we don't know exactly. It's, we can only imagine, to be honest. Um, so he's taken to heaven. He's looking around. He turns to the angel that's, guard, that's uh, guiding him through heaven, his tour guide, if you will. And he says, thank you so much for showing me. I, I've seen some wonderful faces and recognize a lot of people, but I don't see St. John Chrysostom. Like, didn't he make it to heaven? Where, where is St. John Chrysostom? And the angel turns to him and he says, I'm so sorry, St. John Chrysostom is here, but he is at the highest level of heaven in front of the throne of Christ, and I don't have permission to take you up there right now. <laughs> 
So it's That's interesting, right. right? You don't have that special path. <laughs> he doesn't have, he, whatever the, it was. The close ring to see the road yeah. through your... I mean, we call it a kingdom. We call it the kingdom of God. So a kingdom has a king with a royal court and all of the people around. So I, I, don't, I don't know what heaven's going to be like. I, have, I, I can't describe it to you. But even just getting in is, is good. But that's not somehow our goal in, in, our, in our life. Our goal is God. And to go as far in this life towards God as we can so that he will perfect it and bring us even farther towards him, towards infinity and beyond as we can. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which makes it, which kind of unbinds us from our limitations. On, like, why just give a little bit? Why not give everything if, if this is what's at stake? Why just give a little bit just, just so we feel good about ourselves? No, let's give our whole life to Christ. That's what we say now um, so that we can... We can be with him and get as far as we can to work for that reward. But to your question, I don't, I don't feel like I'm answering it, nor can I. Yeah. What does it mean? What is it like, you know, to that, that heavenly reward? We don't know. But, but, but what I'm trying to say with this is like even Christ in the Gospels, much of how he talks about heaven is in terms of reward. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of how he, he talks about following me to receive your reward. Come enjoy these things. Come receive your reward is what he often talks about. He doesn't say, come get delivered from Hades. It's come receive this reward. So, yeah. I guess I thought it was more your state of being. Because that's how hell is talked about, right? Hell is not really a place, but it's your state of being after you pass away. And if you're not in heaven, you're suffering, right? Mm. So wouldn't heaven just be... So I guess I'm confused by the ranks of heaven. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't, sure. you know, I, I just... I assume that heaven is a state that you're in where you're no longer in pain or yeah. suffering or yeah. any of that. Um, and I yeah. understand, like, obviously, yeah. we're, we're not where the saints are. Yeah. But are we not at that same state of being if we've made it to heaven? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think everyone, well, okay, these are, these are big things to think about. <laughs> It's no, it's it's fantastic. I mean, in a way, we're in the same state of existence. We're not in this world, which has pain and suffering and all these things, because um, and, and Christ talks about he says that everyone at the end of the world, we, we read the gospel for a funeral. We say, you know, the, time, the day is coming when when all the dead will rise. Everyone will rise. Everyone experiences the general resurrection. Everyone. And then he says, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation, of, of damnation. So what that means, that resurrection of, of life, everyone is freed from the body, right? And all of those that are in heaven have that, those basic things. Um, but again, the goal, or it's not just good enough in a, in a way for us just to escape pain and get into heaven so there's no more pain. That's, that's great. But the, again, the goal is to be closer to God as much as possible. And, it, and what that means, I, I think we're so bound to this world and so sinful. Some of the holy monks or whatever could, maybe, I don't know if they could describe it, but they, we begin to experience it, what it means to be close to God. Um, I don't know if that answers the question at all. Can you maybe redirect or, uh, or if there's a specific thing? Because it's, it's good things to think about. You know, 
maybe I have a very distorted idea of what heaven is. Um, and, you know, it's, it's probably my lack of, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, reading more or understanding it better. But, um, you know, our goal is the kingdom of heaven to be with God. Yeah. And. So it is a, it, it is a state. Oh, right? go, go ahead, Shannon. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So I mm-hmm. guess. Um, when I, I think, I guess back to what Lucy was mm-hmm. saying, when you think of like the mansions and mm-hmm. all of this, you know, maybe it's, it's metaphorically, but mm-hmm. aren't we all with God still? Mm-hmm. Like, yes. you know, yes. when St. John Chrysostom is at yes. the very top and he's in front of God's yes. throne, will none of us experience that? Yeah, exactly. So it's, I mean, it's, it's a, maybe a way to look about it is like, is like the sun, the sun is, is God, and the sun shines everywhere, right? So everyone in heaven is experiencing the rays of the sun, right? The energies of God. But the very sun itself, to, to touch the very sun and experience it in that way, like we experience the sun through its rays, but to experience it through touching the sun is not something that we are able to do, or even to get close to it in outer space, so one way to look at it is, is in heaven, everyone's being illumined by the light of God, right? Everyone's feeling the rays of the sun. But there's those that have, I don't know how to, God, God knows the heart and how these work, but have drawn closer and closer to being like the sun, to being like God, to taking on those rays, and they're closer to the sun itself. They can experience the brightness of the sun, maybe only a mile from this. I mean, it's infinity we're talking about, right? But they're closer and closer to the very essence of the sun. Again, it's a metaphor, but I think what you're saying needs to be said, that everyone gets illumined by the light. Everyone's with God. But like in this life too, you know, you have moments where you, I mean, we have moments where we, we push God away, right? We don't, we, we don't want him in our life for whatever reason. We want to go sin. We push him away. Right? That's what sometimes we do. Sometimes we turn back to him and we ask him and we feel his light. Right? And as we begin to repent, we feel a little bit more of his light. And if we're preserved by him and we don't turn away from him, we begin to feel more and more of his light. We become light ourselves. So you can kind of, I, I, maybe you know what I'm saying, like even in this life, you sometimes you see, you get more of the rays Sometimes you get less, right? There's some days you go to church and you feel like you're, you're right there on a, in an Arizona day, right? Being baked in the sun of God's grace. Sometimes you feel like it's overcast, but you can still sort of see, see the rays penetrating, right? In heaven, it's no longer overcast. The rays are there. We're seeing God. We're with him. But there are those that, I mean, we're all progressing in that state closer and closer. I don't know how to describe it other than metaphors like that. Maybe there's better metaphors that you could use or um, things like that. But it's, it's, yeah. In my simple brain. Yeah. That's, that's, the, best, that's the best brain for these things. That's how Christ talks, is well, simple, simple metaphors. Brain, I, I'm uh, looking forward, because I do believe in God and Christ and mm-hmm. all. That if I didn't, I would just be adrift forever. Mm. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. I don't believe in hell anymore because mm. um, Jesus broke the mm-hmm. the gates to hell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I believe that if you're not with God then you're just adrift forever. This is a fascinating. This is the other side of it. We talk about heaven, mm-hmm. but then what is the other side? Yeah, if, right. For those, it's fascinating. I mean, so again, the, the basis of getting into heaven is loving Christ and striving the best we can, working while we can, right. and, and staying faithful to him. Even though we may have moments where we're not faithful, being on that trajectory, in a way that's, I mean, that's a simple way of looking at what it means to get to heaven is, is holding to Christ the best we can, being on that foundation, working more and more every day out of love for him. Okay, 
So the opposite then is those that deny Christ. And that's like, look at the Gospels, for instance. There's many people that come to Christ. Many people that you wouldn't expect, like publicans, harlots, tax collectors, they see Christ, they have a personal encounter with him, and they accept him, and they follow him. And it's as simple as that. That's, that's a good, that's who we want to be. When we depart this life and see Christ face to face, we want to be like those people that see him, that recognize him, that say, you're the one I've been trying to find my whole life, that I've been striving for, and now I see you clearly, uh, and I accept you, right? Then there's those in the Gospels that encounter Christ and reject him, like the story of the, the pigs, the uh, uh, demoniac. All the people come from the city, and they say, get out of here. And Christ does, because he... he he respects our free will. And so he does. He leaves. There's other, other people as well. Judas, whatever, that deny Christ. The Pharisees and the Sadducees deny Christ, don't want him, push him away. Those are the people, there's nothing God can do to save them because they've chosen away from him. Yeah. So that's, that's what we pray to be delivered from, especially when we're released from this life, when we, when we die and we experience him face to face, we pray that we do not deny him when we see him. That's what, you know, as we even we go to Holy Week, there's this kind of moment of the cross is a judgment in a way. And, and we put these words into the mouth of the Lord that says, let no one deny me when he sees me on the cross. Like, let, let us not deny Christ when we see him. We, we, we pray, that's our pray, our prayer, that when we see him face to face, when we depart this life, that we will turn to him in love, right? So we, that's what we say, we pray for a Christian ending to our life. And a, a good defense means to, to choose uh, Christ. So, but there's those that even like while Christ was on earth, denied him, turned away from him, spat on him, whatever. And for those, there's nothing God can do uh, because of free will. Um, we don't know. We can't judge which people are which because this is a personal encounter between them and God. So we don't know. And hopefully our prayer should be. St. Saint, Silouan Saint of Manatho says that it's, as a Christian, it's our obligation to pray for the salvation of every single person, to hope for the salvation of every single person to hope that every person will accept Christ. We're not saying it will happen because people have their free will, but that should be our hope and prayer. But if they pass away, mm -hmm. so you watch like the tragedies around the world, and some people are born being of different faiths and different backgrounds, and that's just what you know, right? Yeah. Um, even if you know there's Christianity, your family... There's so much that, you know, takes part of, like, the development of, of a person and the, the path that they take. Yeah. So is that, and I know we don't know the answer to yeah. this, but, you know, but I, I guess I wonder, like, do, do these people still stand before Christ on the cross and at that point, you know, yeah. make that decision, even if it's what they mm -hmm. spent their whole life not, yeah. not doing. Yeah, I would say yes. I mean, Eddie, do you have, do you have a thought? The, I think when he's speaking about, I think it's when he's speaking about Gentiles specifically, but you can kind of apply his words, I think, to people of different backgrounds and so on who don't have orthodoxy or Christianity or whatever. And he says they will be judged according to their conscience. Yeah. Right? So it's yeah. like, if you're a righteous person and you have done good works and you didn't have the faith you know, given to you, you weren't baptized or chrismated, um, you know, that's not, you're not, it's not a hopeless case by any means, mm -hmm. is yeah. my understanding. No, I, I completely agree. 
what both, both, both of you said, it sounds accurate to me, especially since we believe in a God who loves all people. We don't say you're the lover of Christians or lover of those. We say we're the lover of all of humankind, all of mankind. Um, and we, we also, as St. Paul, like you're saying, Eddie, you know, he, he almost, he says basically people are judged according to what they have. Everyone's judged differently. And the Christ says to him that more has been given, more is expected. So our response to this kind of idea of like, how are all the people in the world judged and all this is simply to say, for those of us who have received the faith, more is expected. And that should, that should trouble us a little bit. For those that haven't received the faith, for those that whatever, like you're saying, people that die that never knew Christ, whatever, we know that Christ will give them, will, will, there'll be that chance. We don't, we don't know. I mean, in other words, they'll have that experience of him. And however they've lived their lives, they'll be judged by what they have. And, and the judgment is, is, when we say judge, it's, it's a two-way thing. It's their recognition and God's judgment at the same time. In other words, they recognize him or they don't recognize him. But for us that have received so much, much is expected of us. And that should be the, the scary thing. So we should never rest and say, oh, I'm, I'm orthodox, I'm good, I got baptized, I'm in. No, more is expected. More than um, other people, you could even say. So, yeah. And, and just so it should give us great hope looking at the world that, you know, Christ accepts every person that accepts him, every person that turns to him, no matter anything. I, I, you know, we do, and we, and, and too, you have to say also, you know, in the Orthodox faith, this is the church, this is the body of Christ. So when we're in the church, in the church being, not just being baptized, but when we're active and alive in the church, this is what will feed us the most and bring us closest to God and help us um, in our lives, um, help us to, to see him even now so that we'll see him and accept him then. Um, so, well, I don't know. Other thoughts? I mean, these are good, good things to uh, contemplate. Yeah. I have a question, Father. I yeah. About the sacraments um, in regard to this conversation. So we've heard stories of, you know, babies that are born that only have a few minutes to live. Yeah. And um, I think that there is there's a rule where maybe the Father can say mm -hmm. the name of the Father, Son, mm -hmm. Holy Spirit, and baptize, baptize the yeah. baby right yeah. before his last yeah. moment. Yeah. And I think that's a beautiful idea, but I wonder, you know, if God gives an opportunity for each person to stand before him, yeah. choose him, even after falling asleep, what would that mean for a child? For a child yeah. who never even, you yeah. know. So what would happen if that didn't happen, if, they, if the baby wasn't baptized last Yeah. Time? Well, I'll tell you, when I was on my trip, I had a friend who recently had a miscarriage. His wife recently had a miscarriage, uh, a priest friend of mine. And so we were talking about it a little bit. And I, I forget where he heard this. I think he may have heard it in the writings of a modern elder or something like this. And basically, um, you know, when somebody came and said, you know, we have a child that's died, what, what happens? And the person responded and said, every, every child that dies, maybe in the womb or... Uh, shortly after birth, goes straight to heaven and stands before the throne of God and says, Lord, please help and bless my parents. Hmm. There's also a beautiful icon uh, with Panagia, Panagia, and around her are all these babies, these carriages who are aborted babies. Right? So she has them. Yeah, so they're, they're babies to us, I would say. I would add, you know, they look like babies to us. They can't talk, they can't think. Um, but that's because of the physical limitation of being a baby. The soul is something that's 
beyond um, the body in that way, right? Their soul is still very much alive, like the rest of ours. Um, we can't see it because we can't, we get to know someone's soul by communicating often with them, right? Through the physical way of talking and things. But even for those that are holy people or people in tune with the spiritual world, they don't need words to communicate with someone else. They could, they could be somebody with, that speaks different languages, you know, and you see, you see that sometimes. You're able to communicate with people with different languages because there's a certain communication between souls that happens. Um, in fact, the, the whole idea of talking or something is meant to lead to that deeper communication between two souls. So with a child, you can still communicate with the child um, if, if you have the eyes to see and the heart to feel those things. Uh, so I don't know, does that answer? But so the sense? baptism, yeah. would, is it more mm-hmm. for the father, knowing that he did everything in his power to, to let his child have yeah. a sacramental life? Yeah, or? in a way, in a way you could say that, that the, the father, whoever, because she's talking about the case of you know, a, a child that's, or even you could say any person that's dying, the, the church says that if you find somebody that's dying, whatever it is, this, is, this applies for all Christians that are in the royal priesthood of Christ, that if you find someone that's dying, um, that, it's, that one, one thing you can do is, if you have water or something, to baptize them. Say, this person is baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and sprinkle the water on them. That's something that's allowed, or, you know, by the church for people uh, to do when they find somebody like that. Um, and it does something for them. We say that that, that person, is, their soul is brought closer to Christ. And it's a consolation for us as well. But it has an effect on that. Right? It's, an, it's a legitimate baptism, we would say. If the person recovers later, then they come to the church and they're chrismated in the church to seal the, the act that was done. But if they're not, then we live with the faith that they were baptized and that that was um, something that another person offered to them to bring that person closer to Christ. Yeah. That, that make answer, yeah. And I wonder if the same yeah. would apply to an elderly person yeah. in his deathbed anointed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So... I think the young ones, because I've thought about this for a while, right? They're innocent. They are the innocence. So they're like Adam and Eve before the fall. They're that close, right? Um, In orthodoxy, we talk about the 2,500 innocents Mm -hmm. that were murdered Mm -hmm. when Jesus and the Holy Family left. Mm -hmm. So what happens with all those children right i think they get a backstage pass yeah definitely straight (laughs) straight right because they they don't know the difference between good and evil they know good right you can take kids from around the world put them in the sandbox they just want to play yeah that's what they want to do they're innocent yeah right and at, at that age and so in my mind i go there are things that are mysteries there are things that orthodoxy holds to, okay, I can baptize this child or someone, you know, a fellow soldier before they pass. Mm. Or you can go, there is a power that has this that's way outside of my scope and mind mm. to think of that. And I think about, oh, yeah, exactly what was said is that, yeah, there's, when we get there, you're like, wow, check out all these kids that are here. Yeah. And even Jesus says, oh, bring them to me, man. Let them hang out yeah. with me. Let them run around. Let them be yeah. kids. Yeah. Because at some point in our lives, right, our spiritual lives, we have to return. It's being born again and saying, how do, I, how do I take the tarnish of the world off of my soul and polish my mirror so I can reflect my light? And that's part of that getting back to being that innocent, making those choices to say, oh, that's... Because yeah. it's sin. Because we know, right? We're not up here, I think, are innocent. 
some more than others, yeah. right? But I, that's how I look at children and those yeah. who haven't received. So it should it sobers us and it gives us hope as well mm-hmm. for, especially with things that you read in the news today that are so heartbreaking. Um, you know, it gives us it gives us you know hope. It, it's it's painful these things, but but we know that that the Lord is risen and is merciful and loving, and you know how people are judged. Like going back to that is just is a really interesting thing to to think about because there's so many there's there's so much mercy that we need to have. I think for other people that have been through all kinds of situations. Um, and, and we know that God doesn't judge them the way we want to see it, right? We want to see that person's a grumpy person. They should go to hell or whatever, right? God forgive us, right? Instead of saying, that's a grumpy person, like, we should draw closer to them. That was one of the things that, that struck out to me. A lot of these things actually re- relate to what uh, some of the themes were in the clergy uh, conference. Um, again, the, I mean, these things were very lofty, so that means they're very applicable to lots of different things. Or, but one of the one of the practical things that he talked talked about is that often when we relate to other people, we see and we relate to their personality. In other words, you know, somebody's grumpy, we respond to that. Somebody says something mean to us. This is these are kind of the personality traits that people have. And often a personality is is formed by their life situation. But what we fail to see is the person underneath the personality. We we forget to see the soul underneath the quirks of the personality. We we forget to see the person. And and the people that, you know, to have God's vision is it should be our goal. In other words, to see people as God sees them. So I, I heard this prayer to share with you that somebody said, um, because often there's another side to it as well. We, we don't see other people the way God sees them because we don't see ourselves the way God sees us. And so the prayer that this person said, one of the fellow priests said, he said a prayer that kind of that he's been saying is, Lord, help me to see and love myself as you see and love me. And then help me to see and love other people as you see and love them. So that's something to grow in for all of us, right? Mm-hmm. It starts with seeing and loving ourselves in, in an appropriate way, in the way that God sees and loves us. And when we begin to do that, then we can see and love other people the way that God sees and loves. It's very profound. And again, there's something like heaven that's in degrees, right? It's a mystery to go into because this is God's sight, God's vision, God's love, which is perfect, which is um, unconditional, which is unconditional. Unconditional love is not, is not something we understand. It's not something that we experience. Yeah, we don't, we don't experience often in this life. Uh, unconditional love. It's a question. Have you ever experienced unconditional love? Or even maybe, you know, as, as, as close to that, because God's love is perfect. But even through people, sometimes you see people that truly love without condition. Because that, that conditional love that we have is the, the kind of love that gets, um, gets uh, that dissipates when we see someone's personality. We stop loving them when they act a certain way. We stop loving them when we see their quirks, right? But God's love is unconditional that sees that person underneath. And that's the kind of love that God has for us. We, we some, that's the first part we, we forget, to see God's unconditional love for us, to feel it and to receive it. It can be hard for people that haven't received unconditional love from other people to, to think of God as an unconditional lover of each of us. Sometimes it's hard. Yeah. 
It is. It is. So, I don't know. Any, <laughs> we're, we're off on all kinds of uh, cul-de-sacs and <laughs> rabbit trails and everything here. Um, yeah, so, again, that, that vision of who we are, of who we are called to be, children of God, citizens of the kingdom, working on heavenly treasure while in this life. That's what should guide us and inform us, that, that vision of, of who we are. Are we uh, out of time here? Oh, a couple more, a couple minutes. Well, let's just, just for the sake of our own <laughs> feeling, good. maybe we should get a verse done or something. <laughs> we never even <laughs> talked about any of the verses. I'll just, I'll just summarize for this. The first part, he says, and this is a theme he goes back to again and again. Do you not know you are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. There's a lot right there. And that's a theme that will come again and again. Um, and I guess you could say relating it to this. And we'll, we can touch and go deeper into this. This idea of us being a temple of God is a huge thing to think about. God yeah. sees and loves us unconditionally and wants us to be like him. And so we become a temple of him because that love is something that we even receive and kind of have in ourselves. <coughs> it's beyond the sun metaphor. The, the met, that metaphor breaks down. We receive the light, but then we become the mirror, like you're saying, right? We, we receive that, um, that light. Now, obviously, Paul is talking about temples and, and spirits and idols in a way. This is something that everyone those days knew, that the, the pagans would create out of their own hands and their work of their hands. They would carve or form out of metal an, an idol. In other words, like a statue of a beast or something like that. And then they would, through a pagan ceremony, ask for the spirit of their god to uh, abide and come and live in that idol that they had created. And then that spirit would find a resting place in that calf or that mouth of a lion or whatever it happens to be, right? We believe that's a demon, right? This, this spirit of their god that comes to rest in it. And then from that idol that they would keep and offer sacrifice to, they would try to get wisdom from it. In other words, the demon would speak to them and talk to them and interact with them, right? And they would form their society around that worship, right? So what Paul does is he takes that idol worship and he says, no, you are an idol. Okay, let's, let's be careful with that. An icon is what we would say. In other words, you are like, like an idol, you have been created. You weren't created by human hands. You were created by the hands of God, fashioned out of the clay of the earth. From the very beginning of creation, you're, you're created, right? You're formed. And then the spirit of God was breathed into you, not the spirit of a demon, like with an idol that's created and then a demon goes into it. No, the spirit of God rests in you. So you are a temple. You are... The opposite, I mean the same, but the opposite of an idol, right? You're the same in that a divine spirit is in you and you've been created, right? But the opposite because this is God that has created you and breathed his spirit into you. So you should treat yourselves like a temple, like these things, which is, is there's a lot to this here. For one thing, the people in the ancient world that destroyed temples and idols, did I mention this before? They're the worst type of people in the world. On the list of crimes in the ancient world is like, let's see, going, going to the worst crimes, like stealing, uh, murder, like uh, then destroying a temple. It's, it's almost worse than killing somebody is destroying a temple. The temple destroyers were the worst in society because they had angered the gods. They had done all these things. So the same way with us, to treat ourselves like the temple of God with respect, with the holiness of God in us, to make ourselves the temple of God. And then the point being that we become like an idol would give wisdom and interact and, 
do that, right? It's very limited, though, right? This is uh, limited. When God creates his opposite of an idol, you can call it an icon, a reflection like us, when he creates us, we not just a mouthpiece for God, which we should be, right? To speak beautiful words, like an idol would speak bad words, we speak good words, right? But then we become the hands and the feet of God. We become living temples of God, that God animates us. Um, we've talked about this before, that God animates us so his presence can be in the world. And so to relate it to what we just said, the goal is for us to become a temple of God so that his unconditional love can be revealed in the world, right? When we are filled with God, when the spirit of God rests in us, when we treat ourselves like a temple, which means bringing ourselves to the temple, bring ourselves to God to be filled up, to, uh, to die to the, the worldly desires that we have so that God's will is in us, then God becomes manifest in the world by our love for other people, by working the works of God. Um, that's what our, our calling is. So when we do that, this is a beautiful thing. Then we begin to give ourselves a place in heaven. We become like the holy ones in heaven more and more. And then when we die, our reward will be great. So hopefully that maybe summarizes it. And now we can say that we got through a couple verses. <laughs> so <laughs> now if anyone asked, what did you cover? We did, we did go through a couple verses. Uh, and we'll continue. I was hoping to finish. I thought we would easily finish chapter three, but instead... <laughs> We had wonderful conversations. So may God bless us and help us through the prayers of Saints Peter and Paul and of all the saints. Amen. Amen. Amen.